0: And welcome to the How CMOs Commit Podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of the leading branding firm Siegel Gale. From April to August 2020, I interviewed 50 CMOs from around the world as host of the Siegel Gale Future of Branding event series. Although it pains me not to break bread in person we've uncovered invaluable insights and memorable human stories during this virtual season. In many ways, this podcast provides an exclusive oral history of how brands and CMOs live in the COVID-19 era. From the decisions facing CMOs during this time to the commitments they are forging for the unchartered road ahead, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections on our discussion. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to Siegel & Gale Future of Branding Virtual Roundtable a series modeled on our signature CMO roundtables. Every fortnight, we meet five CMOs and learn how they are leading their brands in the COVID era and beyond. I'm your host, Margaret Molloy, CMO of Siegel Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. In our 51st year, We have the privilege of working with many of the world's leading brands. It pains us not to be able to break bread with you today in person, but we are thrilled to welcome so many marketing leaders from across the globe. Okay, so now let's meet our panel. As ever, I'm joined by five CMOs from brands who are distinguishing themselves in the response to the crisis. Here's how it's going to work. I have some prepared questions. I'm going to invite the five CMOs to come and share with us their city and leadership traits. And then in turn, I'm going to go to each of the five and have a more detailed discussion. Feel free to put forward your questions and comments in the chat feature. I'll do my best to get to them either today or through the course of the series. First up, James Humphreys, CMO, Quest Diagnostic, the leading test operator in the world. James, you're very welcome. So James- Good to be here, Margaret. Where are you this morning or this afternoon?
1: I'm in New York, here in New York City.
0: Fantastic, so we're New York neighbors. James, what's the leadership trait among the many that you're utilizing these days?
1: Definitely agility.
0: Okay, so Next, are you ready, Ruth Rowan? Joining, I believe, from London. Hello, Margaret. Leadership trade, Ruth. I should trade? Yes. You say? Your, your
2: leadership trade. Oh, my, my trade. I, I, was I should trade jobs with James. Um, so I think it's communication, and communication two ways, really. I think more so
0: now than ever, it's so important when we're listening. Thank you. So Tarek. CMO Petco, leading pet retailer, 1,500 stores across the United States, Mexico, and Puerto Rico. Pet parents, we're all keen to hear what is that leadership trait that you are employing?
3: It's for having you, Margaret. Normally San Diego, but uh, hunkered down with family in New York. And I would say it's a combination of empathy and nimbleness.
0: Next up, we have Deshawn Muhammad, head of brand for Uber Eats. Deshaun, welcome, where are you today? And what is your leadership trait?
4: Hi, Margaret, thanks for inviting me to participate. I'm in Beaufort, South Carolina. I'm normally based in San Francisco and uh, like James, like Terry, definitely focused on agility and empathy right now.
0: And our final CMO is Kieran Hannon, the Chief Marketing Officer of Open Path an access control system, SaaS company, major disruptor, and leading marketing for a hot startup with 70 people. Kieran,
5: where are you today? I'm and- in lovely Los Angeles. So if you're ever gonna be in kind of quote, unquote, lockdown, Los Angeles is not a bad place to be. <laughs> so hello, everybody, and good day to you. Thank you for having me. Um, I think of the leadership trait uh, from being on production sets quite a bit as the runner, right? The gopher. You're kind of behind the scenes helping everyone. If they need a little nudge along, you're there to help them. If you need something done, you step in to help them. So I think of it as you're like that, that gopher, the runner. You get it done, you help them out. You're all in it together.
0: So, Kieran, I detect an accent.
5: Well, I'm only here just to help translate for you, Margaret. I'm slightly longer in the United States than you are. And so, yeah, from Dublin. Love you to be on this, uh, the Irish-led chat here. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, that's why- Uh, I've got got my Barry's gold tea.
0: Well, that's why I put you last in the lineup. It was (laughs) to show that I was not exhibiting any preferences. Marvelous. Thank you, folks, for sharing that. So, James. Let's chat some more about Quest Diagnostic. Certainly on the forefront of this pandemic, your response in terms even of your CEO participation in the White House, tell us about the impact it's had on your business and perhaps share one or two of your signature responses that have defined Quest Diagnostic in this time.
1: Yeah, it's been really, really interesting to um I'd say, you know, this all happened so fast. We sort of woke up in the middle of, what really turned into a, a hornet's nest of information and activity, people searching for, for answers. And that spotlight really shifted to, to Quest, I think early in the cycle, as you said, our CEO being on the front uh, lawn of the White House and speaking to media, it's not an everyday occurrence. I think in terms of response, you know, at the end of February, the FDA allowed testing to expand to commercial laboratories and individual hospital labs across the country. And what would normally take three to six months for us to bring a new test to market, we did in seven days. It was an extraordinary accomplishment of our research and development team and all of our colleagues to enable that response. I'd say as a marketing team, we're also, you know, and all of us on this call are not set up for a once in a century pandemic. And so agility was the word that I used before and I think being able to take specialized marketers who focus every day on a certain customer, a certain type of product offering and move them around and have them help with this response effort has been critically important to all of us being able to be successful. And I've been super proud of of what the team has done and what Quest has done in the last two months.
0: James, Give a sense for scale. How many tests are you conducting now? And what's the trajectory, particularly in the United States, where that's a top question for so many of us?
1: Yes, yeah, so we have two different tests that we have available. Uh, one is what we call the molecular test. And that test we have in more than two dozen sites around the country where we're able to perform more than 50,000 of those a day. That's the test which determines whether you have an active infection. Now, in the last two weeks, we've also launched what we call the antibody test. So that test, which is on a very different type of technology, allows you to understand whether you've been exposed to the virus in the past and have developed antibodies that may be able to be not only a sign that you've been exposed, but might indicate that you have protective immunity going forward. The science is still not clear about protective immunity just because this virus is so new to us but we're also scaling that. So more than 50,000 of those can be performed and then we are scaling that up because over the months of May and June, we expect that to increase significantly. And there's a lot of science behind how we can rapidly expand that test, not just adding more equipment, but doing it in a very different way.
0: In terms of your agility and your response, obviously a significant component of that was operational in nature. What role did brand play in grounding some of the decisions you've had to make and the organization has had to execute on?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, a really great question, of course. I'm one of the believers that brand for a marketing team needs to be the spotlight for you or the lighthouse, if you will, of what you're guided by in the products that you bring to market and the services that you provide. And we certainly use that at Quest. Our CEO is a big believer in brand. About five years ago, we did a brand refresh that I led for the organization. And so it's central to how we think about what we bring to market. Our brand is captured in three words for us, which is action from insight. We believe that an individual should be able to take from the insight that we provide, some action to improve their health or the health of their patients. As part of that, I'd say in this particular instance, I'll just give you the example of the antibody test that we brought to market a couple of weeks ago. There's a lot of media noise about that. Are the tests quality? Do they actually determine anything of value? We believe that they do and that they have a role, but are uh choice as a marketing team was really to just lay the science out there for folks. What does it determine? What doesn't it? We do believe that you can take actions from it. And we're getting a lot of questions about that uh, from employers, from schools and others about what role can testing play in getting back to work or getting back to school and going back to life. And so we believe we play a central role in helping to provide that. And our brand has been central in, in that decision making for sure.
0: James, are you providing any tests that consumers can or patients, individuals can purchase? And how does that process happen? How might it have changed from previous experience of going into one of your centers?
1: I think one of the challenges has been in this crisis is where can you get that testing? So if you have an active infection, people have struggled to um, determine with physician offices that are closed or physician offices that won't perform the testing, where can they go? So there are testing sites. We're part of uh, setting up those testing sites. For example, with Walmart, we are running many of those sites in their parking lots across the country, and we expand that every week so that people can come to those. And we're partnering with many organizations across the country and running that type of testing. Now, on the antibody side, what's really, really exciting is that we did launch a direct-to-consumer offering. So consumers can certainly go to their physician. And get the test but they can also go to our website Quest Direct is the offering and they can order the test themselves and come into one of our patient service centers we've got thousands of those across the country and get a blood test that determines whether you've been exposed to the virus in the past and have developed the antibodies. A really exciting offering in terms of the response so consumers are seeking the convenience of that and we've certainly seen that as we launched it about a week or so ago.
0: And that's entirely new in terms of any disease state have you had consumer tests and the ability for consumers i know you've had the ability to schedule in the past that process is that a new process or one that you've brought to life for COVID 19 antibody
1: yeah so we do have we launched the direct-to-consumer offering where you can come to our website and purchase about 30 different tests directly This was an opportunity to add that on. And the thing that we're doing now as a team is working with our research and development folks to create at-home testing kits. So many people don't want to go to a location where a lot of us in shelter at home localities. And so we'd love to provide both for what I called that molecular test, the swab test for an active infection and the blood test to be able to provide at-home testing kits, which you take and then send back to us so that you don't even have to leave your home to uh, to get access to that. That is not available currently from us. We are seeking the approval to launch those. And once we get that, we'll launch that as well. But you can make an appointment and come in and, and visit us for the antibody test, or you can visit one of the physician or hospital locations to get, or Walmart location to get the molecular test.
0: James, in listening to you, it strikes me, you must have tremendous data. You're accumulating and potentially anonymizing Are you sharing that with CDC or other authorities and what has been your collaboration? Has it intensified? Has it changed with public bodies and other entities?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're involved certainly in a lot of studies. Our research and development team are involved in a number of studies. We are reporting back to public authorities where um, necessary in order for population health statistics, for sure, we're providing that. That's very important to us that we're partnering there. I'd also say on the marketing side, just in terms of public response, one of the things early on was the very disparate set of information that was out there and conflicting information. And as marketers, how can we get our voice out to clarify truth from, you know, fact from fiction? You know, it occurred to us very early in the cycle that the traditional marketing channels that you use to communicate aren't the ones that are as effective anymore. And I remember in a meeting a few weeks ago, I said, people are not looking to traditional channels. They are going to their, their government. They're looking at Andrew Cuomo or uh, Governor Cuomo, rather, and what he's saying every day. And so for us, our government relations team partnering with marketing and getting the messages to public health authorities about testing capacity and what's available and how the kind of messaging that we have to send to the public, being able to partner with uh, public health entities has been an important part of that process.
0: Tremendous. Fascinating story. Looking forward to following that for sure, James. Okay, Tarek, we talk about pets?
3: Why not?
0: Right, so vitally important to so many of us as a source of comfort in these challenging times. Seems that Petco is the retailer, pharmacy, doctor, grooming salon even, for so many pets. An essential service, no doubt. So tell us about that. Tell us about the changes you've had to navigate and how you've prioritized the very many brand opportunities it has presented.
3: Thanks, Margaret. And you know, the first one is one might think essential. We, we initially weren't as essential as uh, as you might think, as these were rolling out, and as many of you know, your these decisions are being made not at a national level or a federal level, but quite often at a state and even sometimes at a county level. Um, and so initially. For us, we, we were not deemed essential in certain uh, early closed states. And there was, a, as you can imagine, time to move quickly and remind them exactly of what you just said, that we are the grocery store for your cat and we are the doctor's office for your dog. And we do fill prescriptions. And there are elements of grooming that are essential. There are other elements that are not so essential right now. And so how do you manage those things? First of all, to stay open was our first speed to market was to try and make sure that we, in fact, could remain open. The good news there is once you establish that with one or two states, it starts to, to catch on. And, and so that actually became a relatively easier issue to, to manage for. And then you, you pivot to the real significant issues, which first is all your people. So 1,500 outlets, almost 20,000 employees in those stores. And how do you then manage to both meet the requirements for pet parents and the needs that they have, but do it in such a way that you maintain the safety and health and consideration for the many folks that keep those stores moving, whether it's your distribution and, you know, and as we all dealt with the information, quite, uh, you know, infrequent and not really understanding all the facts as you get them, um, having to pivot as, as you do get them. And, you know, as was stated earlier, I think it'll be a common theme for all of us. Just incredibly proud of the the folks that are in our stores that showed up every day, um, the folks in our distribution centers. We did not see a significant decrease in, um, you know, an absenteeism. And, and, you know, people really take this mission of caring for pets and really serving the world of pet and pet parents to get, create a better life for them very, very seriously. They get up every day to do this and, and it really showed in these early days. Then it's how do you, like everyone else, how do you keep the, the store shell uh, stocks, uh, sh- source the whole stock, easy for me to say, and really make sure you have the, the elements that are there. Uh, early days, we looked a lot like the grocery stores uh, with significant stock up behavior with customers that then tapered off um, as the severity and the lockdown situations became more severe and saw consumer behavior then shift, as you would expect, to a much more e-com-based uh, type business. Thankfully for us, we had started to make a pretty significant move in the digital transformation prior to this, the COVID situation. But even within that, we had to become pretty nimble and innovative. We stood up a curbside pickup went, went, in a week. We'd been testing it in a half a dozen stores, and we took that nationally in a week you know, to the benefit of our organization's ability to, to pivot and do those things. And so, yeah, thankfully, compared to a lot of my retail colleagues who face just doors shuttering and trying to figure out what the avenue uh, back is when the when the country reopens, uh, we came from a place of grateful and uh, very supportive in terms of being able to remain open, support pet parents, and then figure out how to navigate that uh, in, in a way that was both meeting the needs of those partner uh, parents, but also really taking care of our partners in doing so.
0: And Tariq, my research shows that you've been able to on the digital side achieve quite commendable uh, speed versus some of the alternative providers? A, can you clarify that? And B, to what do you attribute that? Because you were arguably a little newer to the digital transformation on your journey.
3: Yeah, and you know, the, the speed both of, of our distribution centers being able to maintain the inventory. And then this is a place where brick and mortar actually took on a dual capability. So not only were we meeting the needs for, for those customers who were still looking to get that food in their hand or, the, or that medicine in their hand real time, but we were also able to start to use those stores as mini distribution centers, which allowed us to also maintain speed to market for our customers. And so while you saw pretty significant giants in the category, Uh, in in our category, uh, two in particular, moved to seven to 10 days to Amazon, frankly, leaving the category for all intents and purposes, our ability to stay in that two to three day range proved to be incredibly, incredibly powerful for customers. And what we're seeing is that retention is starting to pay off our ability to be there for them the way that we serve them. And we're seeing it also not only in that initial purchase, but we're seeing an incredible influx of new customers and now retention of those new customers.
0: So Tarek, very briefly, what role did your brand and brand purpose play in those pivots? Because I recall from prior conversations, you had many different levels of innovation you've been exploring pre-COVID. How relevant was brand in those conversations as you were prioritizing?
3: I imagine this will become a relatively repetitive theme in my answer, which is um, there's never been more important time for your brand to have a purpose. And it would not be a great time to be looking to create that purpose, I would dare say. And so we, we started that journey almost two years ago to really start to focus not on being just a retailer, but leveraging data and connectivity with our customers, understanding their life, their pet's life, their pet's needs in such a way that we pivot to become truly a, a health and wellness company uh, for pet care and, and intuitively so in such a way that we're, we're helping parents understand what that next right decision is um, i would argue that this unfortunate situation has become a, an incredible accelerator to that purpose and i think for those who were trying to find a way to serve in this environment and not just sell that can prove very difficult without that purpose i think for us that purpose is just it's at the heart of everything we're doing and again not just for what we're doing for for pets and their parents. But frankly, that same health and wellness consideration was something we had to play in in terms of how we take care of our employees and what we, the steps we've taken for health and wealth, uh, wellness safety at the, at the stores.
0: Tarek briefly, can pets contract COVID-19? Oh,
3: the question. The reality is we are seeing in science that, that pets can in fact contract it, but we also know, um, and consistent with the CDC, they can't transmit though, thankfully. Um so the the harsh reality is those stories you've heard of uh, pets to zoo animals, <laughs> the few stories in the states have been have been from human transferred to those pets. The good news is the science shows relatively significant impact on symptoms and and all of those situations pets have have recovered quite well. It's still early we just don't know so much and as we don't in the human world, neither do we fully in the, the zoological world and we'll continue to to gain that but from what we can tell today, yes, they can, they can get it, but they are not transmitters.
0: Wonderful. All right. Thank you, Tarek. Next, please. Ruth Rowan, as I introduced earlier, is the CMO of NTT, one of the world's largest technology solutions company with 40,000 associates and more globally. They're serving clients, B2B clients in over 200 countries. Ruth, joining us from London, Good afternoon again, Ruth. So, Ruth, I know you service so many global clients, which gives you a very interesting perch, as it were. How are you seeing the demands on your capabilities change in terms of helping your clients adapt to this new reality? Yeah.
2: Thank you, Margaret. And if I can also just say a big thank you to Tariq. I'm actually just sat here with my dog. So apologies if he decides he wants to join in at some point, but he... uh, I think the winner in this crisis in many of our lives are our pets who are getting to spend a lot more time with us um, right now. And certainly my dog is, uh, you know, is loving the fact he's constantly at my side, um, but it doesn't always help a cause like this. So I apologize in advance if he decides to join in. Um, so yes, we are, we are only a, a B2B um, organization. You know, we have the privilege of working with um, many of the world's largest companies in delivering technology services for them. And I think, it's so interesting to learn from different industries in terms of all of our response in this unprecedented crisis. And I think, you know, our priority, I think like every, every company's priority had was firstly to protect our, our people. You know, we are, we have people in over 70 countries actually now. And obviously this, this pandemic is global and, but the spread and the impact of the pandemic has not been consistent in, in, in different countries. And we've had to work, in a very local way, you know, is this brand strategy of globally consistent, locally relevant, isn't it? And no more so true than how we've all managed this pandemic is obviously every country is de- dealing with a very different, different level of, of crisis. So focusing on our people and making sure our people are safe, but also um, being treated in a locally relevant way. Um, but then also just making sure that we are continuing to deliver services for our clients. And that seems to be a very basic focused, but when you, we have a very complex range of services that we deliver in many, many different countries and our own business being disrupted in terms of how we do that. So something as simple as most big companies will have globally, global resilience. You know, we have a massive service center in Bangalore, we have a massive service center in Prague and the resilience was built in that one would fall back on the other if, you know, there was a problem in one of those countries. And of course, this pandemic has hit every country, you know, so whereas we had very good business continuity plans in place we didn't have plans for a global pandemic that meant that every single one of our 40,000 people would need to go and shelter at home. Now, thankfully, we were able to make that happen and being able to make that happen meant that we could continue to deliver both existing services for our clients, but also extend services. And I think one of the, you know, one of the focus areas for the whole of the technology industry and in B2B is you know, being able to be very agile. It's, it's amazing that this has been a, a big theme around how we deliver support for our clients and also how we extend support you know so for most of our clients they've needed to be able to to extend home working collaboration tools to all of their employees you know most and many companies didn't have every single employee working from home so we've needed to help that for many of our clients the banking clients particularly many of those roles didn't even have laptops you know so within 24 hours we're needing to help source laptops enable laptops secure laptops so that Roles that traditionally would never have been at home are now able to be at home. So, I, I think that that tone of being relevant and helping—you know—it's like I think, Tarek, you said it: it's serving, not selling. Is this big shift, you know, that that we've not made deliberately, but it's interesting how cultural informs that shift of, of of just leaning in to help. But um, so that's really been our focus: help, making sure our business is secure, but then also making sure we're pivoting for our time.
0: So Ruth, my sense is that you may have some visibility into, frankly, the cybersecurity issues. You touched on enabling your clients to work from home and the technology implications of that. Any data, any early signals around what we're seeing in terms of cybersecurity?
2: Yes, we do. So we actually have a very big cybersecurity practice um, in NTT. We see about 40% of the world's internet traffic that actually goes across NTT's network, and with everything else we do, we're also one of the biggest, the world's biggest telco operators. And we have seen, sadly, you know, about a 30% uptick cyber security threat as a result of COVID. You know, so COVID-related attempts, and amazingly, we're also seeing a significant increase in the amount of cyber security attacks on healthcare providers and hospitals, which is just you know, I think for, for all of us on the call, just difficult to believe and understand, but unfortunately threat actors are opportunistic, you know, and at the moment there's a, a huge opportunity to, you know, as the world moves into the digital space, as we all increasingly are buying essential provisions, you know, online rather than in, in stores and increasingly, you know, needing to lean very heavily on our healthcare providers, there is a significant shift that way. And, you know, from a brand perspective, again, when you think we're trying to be serving, not selling, I love that language, Tariq. We've also had to lean into that. You know, we do have some existing healthcare clients, but based on that experience, actually, what we've said is we'll extend all of that learning and experience into any healthcare um, company that needs help right now.
0: You're seeing new patterns of behavior, potentially new habits. Do you have any perspective as to whether any of them will? translate or which in particular might translate post pandemic that's a great
2: question i mean i think i'm seeing a real shift in business behavior you know all of us are here i guess with our our corporate roles or our organizational roles wanting to learn and i see that across our whole industry right now there's a real desire to lean into each other to learn from each other um, you know one of the, the trends that we see in our business is you know previously very difficult to get hold of leaders in our client companies answering our emails within you know a couple of minutes you know they're they're on the end of the phone um, people are really willing and wanting to learn right now and asking for help you know I think a lot of that corporate ego or bravado that we've had around we know what we're doing you know I think is disappearing and I think that's a healthy healthy thing as we all look to 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 learn from each other. I think that um, anecdote that there is no blueprint in any role for what we're dealing with right now. And hence, the ability to learn from each other is so important.
0: Great note to transition on. Thank you, Ruth. So from learning in the global telecom sphere to dining, no less. Dishan Muhammad, leading brand at Uber Eats with um, presence in over 500 locations globally. Welcome again, Dishan. Hi, Margaret. So it's certainly been fun to watch your new product launches and your journey and your contributions in this period. What would you highlight most that's been most representative of Uber and Uber Eats in terms of your response?
4: Well, the thing that is interesting about Uber, and I've worked in I've worked in data, I've worked in consumer packaged goods and technology, especially It's a very fast moving space. And what I've noticed is that when we first encountered the crisis, of course, every meeting started with the question first of how can we help? And that was always the, the first piece that went in when we put out our global playbooks. We said the first question you need to ask yourself is how can we help? and move very quickly to try and actually find those areas. And so for us on Uber Eats, the thing we have to think about the fact that even though you could call our service a marketplace, we tend to think of it as a community. And so each of those members of our community have different needs. And so we were working to try and identify most rapid ways we could actually respond to those needs in ways that were meaningful. So for our restaurant partners, the ability to actually, you know, there's a lot of things that we put into market, but the thing that I think people really appreciate was we just started paying the restaurants daily uh, as opposed to weekly, because what they needed is to keep their businesses moving. And we do not do well if the businesses on our, uh, uh, in our community aren't doing well. Uh, similarly, there was speed to market in terms of the fact that it was an integrated effort across everyone, including our engineers and our product team to deploy no contact delivery and finding ways to take a behavior that we noticed and we knew that our eaters and our consumers needed and actually building that into the app, deploying that very quickly, and then actually aligning all of our marketing resources against helping people understand it was available, helping them learn how to use it, deploying it to the various delivery people on our platform on how to operate in that modality and moving very quickly against that and then finally taking a step back because uber and really thinking about how can we really play a partnership role with the communities that were so heavily affected by the changes that this was wrought you know that that this wrought upon the community and actually doing a very large global commitment on 10 million free rides and meals to frontline workers and people in need Um, and these are not simple things they're not easy to do And in fact, we are constantly, literally, I was in standups daily, uh, multiple times a day as we were figuring out how do we do this. But what was unique and interesting about the Uber way is that we were able to pull all these resources together from the organization and be thinking about those needs and actually find ways to put those into market very quickly.
0: So, Deshaun, you've also launched quite quickly, or if you will, advanced the launch of a number of offerings. I was struck by the business delivery Uh, delivery offering, as well as the peer-to-peer offering that you've provided. Could you briefly describe how you expedited those launches and the role of brand in adhering to making sure that your community, your entire ecosystem stays with the same brand experience that they've grown to expect from Uber? Sure.
4: With those areas, we as an organization are constantly looking at, and I think it's very much built into the Uber DNA of constantly figuring out what are new services, new ways that we can provide value to the communities in which we operate. And so we had already been doing a lot of experimentation in those areas. We already had been building uh, business plans, strategies, we've been testing and tweaking. And I think it was... No surprise that once we saw that there was a need as a marketing and I think as a business organization, we've shifted to, we always listen to what's happening with our customers and the needs, but we actually shifted to much more aggressive and really opened our ears uh, to the point that we uh, had ongoing uh, conversations with uh, our community members. To help understand what those needs were and very quickly saying, okay, based off of what we're hearing, here's something we're working on here Here's something we're working on over in this other place and bringing those things together and deploying them very quickly. And so I think that what that speaks to the fact is that Uber is a business and a brand about movement. And it's not just about moving people and things. It is actually just moving and thinking about different ways and reimagining the ways that we can move in order to improve how the world is operating and unlocking those opportunities. So we actually were able to take a lot of our brand Values and the way that we just operate as an organization and being able to move against that and luckily we had very solid leadership. That was very single minded in terms of what we were trying to accomplish and always again asking that question, how can we help. Uh, And making sure that we were able to deploy those things that we'd already been working on and tweak and tool them to put them into market quickly in ways that made sense.
0: Thank you, Deshawn. So, from contactless delivery to contactless building entry, Kieran Hannon, back to us, please, from Open Path. So, Kieran, lots of pressures you're navigating: investor pressures, product evolution. What have you prioritised in terms of your response to COVID nineteen? Strikes me that similarly, your services. Access to buildings, provision of that capability to landlords, you're a SaaS-based company, must also give you access to tremendous data vis-a-vis compliance. So lots there. Tell us what you want to unpack.
5: As a, a brand who is about convenience and security, helping people access the building, getting rid of the key card, all you need is to have your, uh, the app on the phone, doesn't need to be open. Uh, We're really about frictionless access, right? In you go, don't have to worry about your day. That has now upended the world because it's not just getting in the door and on your way. It's getting in the door safely, knowing that the environment is safe and you're able to do what you need to do with, with peace of mind. So as the country started to react to this pandemic, Obviously, companies started to comply with work-from-home uh, directives. We were able to see on an anonymized and aggregated basis uh, the change in behavior at the workplace, less people entering the workplace. So we created this social distancing index to help understand the effect of that change. And it's on our resources tab at OpenPath.com. What we're able to see the behavior in change at the state level uh, between the various states uh, and how they're enacting stay at home and the impact of that and how quickly workplace entry declined. Certain states reacted more quickly than others. Some states uh, actually never really enacted a work from home and that's pretty apparent in that data. For example, Nebraska never really went below 100%. Everyone was continuing to work in Nebraska uh, throughout this uh, uh, pandemic. Whereas in other states, for instance, Georgia, never really got below uh, 60%. So it meant 60% of people were continuing to work as before. Whereas conversely, states like California got down the very low 20% range. So that's a great way to understand the impact of something from a data standpoint. And now conversely, as we start to contemplate and look at return to work, we will be able to share how that is going and what states are actually moving more quickly down that path. So that's at the state level. We also have that data by sector type. And what I mean by that is by nature of the workplace, whether it is commercial, Uh, building, uh, commercial real estate building, whether it's a tenant in that building, whether it is a retailer, a uh, a school, a place of worship, and gyms. So quite quickly, actually in week two of the pandemic, national pandemic response, we saw an uptick in attendance of places of worship. People were actually going there for solace and so forth. And then pretty quickly, it was rapidly understood that that's probably not a good thing to be doing. And then that rapidly declined as well. Workplace uh, attendance at places of worship went down. So again, understanding behavior and so forth was something that we were able to look at the data, translate into insights, create an index and be able to track that index.
0: So Kieran, just so everyone understands, is it fair to say you're similar to nest on the consumer product, you're sort of the B2B version of that. You're an access, a mobile access system that provides the landlords and tenants the ability to provide contactless entry to tenants, workers, et cetera.
5: That's well said, Uh, thank you, absolutely. We are the Quilden of Nest from a brand standpoint in the commercial access place, absolutely. So So you get rid of your key cards. No need to carry that key card. You never have to lose it again. Uh, You you never lose your phone, but you always lose your key card. And this is one less uh, thing to worry about. And interesting enough, on that point, we uh, had to rapidly pivot as a brand because we were featuring this touch capability with our uh, Mm -hmm. solution where you could keep your phone in your pocket, the app didn't need to be opened, and then you, when you walked up to the door, the reader outside the door, you know, that black panel that you would see that you would put your card on, you could wave your hand right on top of that uh, reader, and then the door would unlock. You would never have to pull out your phone. And so that was about a couple of millimeters. Your hand would be in front of the reader, and we felt that that was a little too close Now People would not want to be in anywhere within the vicinity of the reader to you know, be touching millimeters away. So the team very quickly, the engineering team, very quickly uh, worked on some firmware updates. It's been in beta for two weeks and we're now releasing it over the next week where now your hand can be inches in front of the reader and you wave and in you go. Or conversely, you can open the app on the phone and lock the door with the app on your phone and in you go. So no touching whatsoever of the access control uh, solution. And then paired with an automatic door opener, there's tons of leading automatic door opener products out there, Allegiant makes a couple of really, really good ones. So paired with an automatic door opener, you have a complete contactless entry for your building. The authentication and the door opening in you go, so you never have to worry.
0: Marvelous. With some free consulting, Kieran, you might not want to use that touch word as one of the product names.
5: We, 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 that was the biggest pivot. This happened. We had to scrub every piece of documentation as soon as this happened. Our site, all of our FAQs, our support docs, all of our collateral, that disappeared very quickly.
0: Tremendous. Fascinating story. Thanks, Kieran. Okay, five panelists. Going to get to the final question. And as always with the Siegel and Gale virtual roundtables, it's quick fire. So here's our question, starting back with the same batting order with James. James, how do you want your company's brand to reemerge post crisis? And what are you, a CMO, committing to doing to get it there? Very quickly, please, James.
1: Yeah, I think everybody understands now the role that testing plays in our life in terms of health and uh, just seeing Quest as being a part of that and health ongoing uh, following this pandemic, I think is, is really important, a part of everybody's life. And for me, I would just say that as a leader, leading the marketing team and driving them toward that vision of expressing our brand that way is the key, the key thing for us.
0: Eric. How do you want Petco to re-emerge and what is your commitment to take it there?
3: We would say we've been present. So it's continuing on our pathway and, and continuing to reinforce the support of, of not just being a retailer, but being a full health and wear company for, for pets and parents. As a leader, I think for us, we're going to have to work through what the cultural implications are, both in terms of what customer expectations are between physical and the virtual uh, retail and service experience but also our employees and how we think about what does coming back to life look like from a work perspective in our world, the ability to be physical, isn't just about need. It's a cultural impact for us. We have any given day, three, 400 dogs and cats in our buildings, and it changes the culture uh, to not be in that environment. And we're going to have to think through what that looks like. And so helping partners feel safe and confident without losing our culture will be a critical component.
0: Ruth NTT 40,000 people, 70 locations, helping clients in over 200 countries. How do you want to re-emerge or be perceived post-pandemic? And what are you going to do from your perch in London as a commitment to get NTT there? I think it's it's a
2: very interesting question for us because we're actually a very new company. You know, we launched NTT in the international market 1st of July last year. So we're not yet a year old. Um, So for us, this is actually a great test of our brand and actually part of our new narrative of um, how well the brand and the culture is actually performing in what is our normal. You know, this is um, COVID hit us when we were only six months old. So so I don't think there's a sense of us re-emerging. It is a sense of this is defining us actually. And, And this concept of defining brand and purpose. What's interesting, I think this has been a really good test of the work that we did just a year ago. And one of the one of the pillars, we had three pillars when we talked about, you know, what does a sustainable company look like? Environmental is obviously, you know, making sure we do projects that's making the world better. But we also talked about we will be here. You know, you can't make a difference if you're not present. And actually what this is helping us do is, is get really connected to that role of actually being important to be here. You know, the focus on executing our strategy of constantly improving our propositions and our relevance to the world so that we are here. And I think for many of the world's biggest companies, for our generation, there's been an element of complacency. Big brands disappear in big crises. And so we've really connected to this sense of the need for us to continue to be relevant, to make sure we're still here. And I think that's my role.
0: Relevance, always always a good commitment to be relevant, Ruth. Okay, thank you for that. So, Deshawn, over to Uber Eats and your role as brand lead.
4: Yeah, I mean, like uh, NTT, I mean, Uber's a young brand, and we've been around for barely 10 years. Uber eats for less than half of that amount. And so I think that we are, we don't see ourselves as reemerging post-pandemic. We are very much here. And the thing that I think we are most focused on right now is that there is human connections that are very much present in a part of our platform. And as I mentioned before, we think of ourselves as a community. And so right now we see how powerful food is as a connection point for people and with their restaurants in their community and for the people who are earning on our platform to deliver against that. And so where we really want to come out is just even more strongly committed in uh, delivering against that value of connection that comes across through the services and the work that we do to keep people connected through food, I food and uh, how we're able to do that in a way that is safe and reliable and just back down to brass tacks. And so my commitment as a leader is very much to keep us focused on uh, continuing to exceed the expectations of the consumers of our platform as well as all the businesses and the folks who are with us uh, to make sure that we're doing so in a way that uh, makes sense for the new reality that we're that that is emerging, I think, based off the crisis we're going through right now.
0: Keeping that movement that is so characteristic of Uber. Thanks for exactly. that, Sean. Finally, Kieran, startup, lots of investors, lots of agility in the product. What is your hope post-pandemic for the brand and your commitment to getting it there?
5: By Sean and Ruth, as the youngest person, brand here. <laughs> um, it's very interesting. And so, um, more so than ever, I think trust is going to be so critical. And so, uh, for us, uh, a lot of the activity we've been doing is helping communicate, inform folks as they think about what it will take to return to work, not just specific to our area in all the areas that could uh, relate to the built world. That's what we're focused on. So our activities are helping, we're the connectors just like you, Margaret, we're bringing together like-minded folks to help inform our audiences about things they could be thinking about in ways that they can be helping to prepare in preparation for return to work. As part of that, uh, it is uh, apparent that, that information is, people are so hungry for information and they really are in a, a, a lean back mode where they're digesting, comprehending, understanding that information. So more so than ever, we're focused on creating content uh, that they can use and, and consume and make it actionable. So that's one thing we're doing. But more important, at the end of the day, as a brand, we talk about purpose, what we're there, we're to make people's lives until now frictionless, and frictionless has many dimensions to it, It really is around trust, and we hope our goal would be that at a certain point that we become the verb to enter a building safely, securely, with peace of mind. You open path it.
0: Fantastic. Well, we will open path it. A nice, nice opportunity to get the verb in there, Kieran. Thank you. Very, very clever. Thank you for that. Okay, so in thanking our panelists. I'd like to offer some reflections on what we've covered in this conversation. There has been much talk among the scientists and politicians about the properties of the virus. In listening to you this afternoon, I've identified three properties of COVID-19 as it pertains to brand leaders and brands. First property, COVID-19, the great illuminator. COVID-19 has shone a light on leadership in every facet of our lives. How companies respond to this crisis will be something that will be remembered for decades to come. The decisions these CMOs as leaders are making are characterized by tremendous tension. Keeping the store open, security of employees, long-term product development, near-term product pivots, long-term brand building, short-term business imperatives. And I admire your leadership traits that you shared, agility, curiosity, and more, as mechanisms to bring your leadership to life. COVID-19 is also highlighting the importance and the real value Of brand purpose. It's clear in listening to you that the organizations that truly are purposeful, organizations for which purpose is a reflection of their culture and a source of inspiration for their employees, are being revealed to possess dramatic agility and dauntless resolve. It's also clear that there is tremendous opportunity for brands to behave as active citizens in the community, whether it's supporting workers in need, providing data, or engaging in public-private partnerships. It's clear that brands have a need and an opportunity to look beyond their direct constituents, but to be very intentional about all constituents. For the CMOs here, it is clear that the purpose you have for you, purpose is a core operating principle. It's not merely a marketing artifact. It goes to the entire organization. It's not entirely marketing. It's led by your CEO, but guided by marketing. This responsive purpose is enabling you to stay true to your DNA and be very creative as the context has changed. And in so doing, it appears to me that in this crisis, you're not merely surviving, you're building your brands as well. Property two, COVID-19, the great accelerator. We've heard from each of you how the pandemic is effectively accelerating your transitions and accelerating trends that were already happening. Curbside delivery, Test availability and scheduling, advancing the utility of your product, content, useful content, working from home, and perhaps the most prominent theme, contact less everything. It's clear that you, as CMOs, are watching behaviors during this period to determine which will become habits as we emerge. Also, hastening the recognition that brand is more than words and pictures. Brand is the summation of every experience, your constituent, your customer, your employee, the community has with your brand. It is not entirely, as we mentioned, the purview of the marketing department. Rather, it is a set of expectations that all employees, store workers, test people, all colleagues are responsible for delivering. This pandemic is clearly speeding up the intersection of brand behavior, culture, and customer experience. Third property, COVID-19, the great complexifier. People, our employees, our teams, our customers, are dislocated, they are anxious, be they pet parents, Patients struggling to discern whether or not they have the disease state and waiting for a test result. They are all struggling to make decisions in uncertain times. This uncertainty is impairing their decision making. COVID-19 is a tax. It is imposing a tax on all of our decision making. And it's very apparent from this panel that all of the CMOs, whether B2B or B2C, are recognizing the opportunity presented to reduce the cognitive effort of employees, of customers, of the community to interact with their brand. Reciprocally, COVID-19 is lifting the veil on the importance of simplicity. And it is so enlightening to hear how expansively the CMOs are interpreting simplicity. I care about this topic so deeply at Siegling Gale. Often folks think of simplicity as being reductive or perhaps just being clear. But listening to you today, it's clear that there are many dimensions to simplicity: clarity, being relevant inspiring trust, transparency, being helpful, useful, easy to do business with, making people's lives easier. In the final analysis, I would offer that this is a great time to build brand equity for the brands that know and are attuned with how your customers and your employees are thinking and feeling. Ruth, Tarek, Kieran, Deshawn, James, thank you so very much for spending the hour with us and inspiring us and sharing your stories. We look forward to keeping an eye on you and watching your progress as you enact the commitments you've shared. All of you on this call, we invite you back again on May 21st, when we will visit with five more CMOs and learn how they are leading their brands in the COVID era and beyond. I would like to thank our production team led by Alison Carrion and Ashley Noonan. On behalf of everyone at Siegel and Gale, please know that across this physical distance that is setting us apart and also protecting us, we are committed to supporting the bonds and the shared joy of brand building that illuminates this community. Please let us know if there are any challenge you're encountering that we may be able to address. Once again, I'm Margaret Malloy, CMO of Siegel & Gale. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review and share this podcast. Until next time, this is is how CMOs connect.